and welcome to another episode of Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tape Heads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it and then we talk about it. This episode, I think we picked out a little something from your collection. A childhood favorite, I believe. Oh yeah. When I was in kindergarten, first grade, this was the movie that lived in the box of favorites next to my TV in my room. An experience that you apparently share with one Jimmy Fallon, who was a (laughs) big fan of this movie. Well, Three Men and a Baby, yes. I, which is so funny, he did a recent interview with Tom Selleck, and he's he takes out a VHS copy of this movie, which is, it, it did come out on DVD. But it's like a VHS movie. It it's, is, it's, yeah. The late 80s, people were starting to buy VCRs, it was a more common thing to have tapes, and mm-hmm. This is the highest grossing movie of 1987, weirdly Which is enough. It's really weird because Lethal Weapon came out the same Predator year. Predator was that year. Uh, the Living Daylight starring the greatest James Bond, Timothy Dalton. But uh, yeah, Three Men and a Baby was the uh, big blockbuster that year. A lot of people could have sworn that there was a ghost child in the background. A little ghost boy. A little ghost boy. If you're curious about it, it's during the scene with um, Ted Danson's mom coming over where he to tried meet the baby well to meet it and for ted danson to try and pawn off the baby onto her yeah i like how they keep trying to push the baby off onto other women before recognizing oh wait we can actually do this ourselves we are adults with two hands and but there is an answer to this mystery it is not a ghost boy that was haunting a house it was shot on a studio so. i like that there's like this elaborate elaborate lore that what was it where they filmed it on location was haunted there was a little boy that died except that they didn't film it on location it was a studio set and there was a cut scene where basically um jack ted danson's character is an actor and he's kind of self-absorbed and a narcissist so he has a cardboard cutout of himself and that's what you see in the background. And you actually see the cardboard cutout later in the film. Yeah, you do. But without think, any context. I think there was a scene that drew more attention to it. But it is weird, though, because in that in that shot, it's just sort of in the background standing by the window. And it's far yeah. enough away, and VHS is grainy enough that it doesn't really look like the same thing. Like, probably yeah. if you watch this on Blu-ray or something... Mm-hmm. It'd be clearer what it was. I like how Tom Selleck joked to Jimmy Fallon that probably Disney made up the ghost boy thing to get more VHSs sold. I think it was just kind of this thing that happened during the big VHS boom of the late 80s. Because Wizard of Oz has the same thing. People swear they see a munchkin actor hanging himself in the background and somehow nobody noticed that. That's so weird. But yeah, I mean, just people inventing legends around VHS tapes. It makes it a lot more exciting if you imagine there's a haunted house. (laughs) The next sequel, Three Men and a Ghost Boy. Oh yes, oh yes. So tell me about your history with this movie. We got Tom Selleck, Ted Danson, Steve Gutenberg. Steve Gutenberg, we all know and love from It Takes Two. (laughs) Well, for you, that's your main... I would say Police Academy, personally. Oh, yeah. I get, I've get. i seen a Police Academy. That's also really good. But for me, that... And the other... There's another It Takes Two connection in Three Men and a Baby. Oh, that's right. Um, 
the butler, the kindly, fun butler, the is mafioso also... butler, Vincenzo. Ma- Vincenzo, yes, the mafioso butler is a uh, kind of weird detective who wants to hold babies. Honestly, reflecting back on it, I'm not super clear why I love this movie. I think I like the idea of these three adult men bumbling over a baby, and I I also really liked movies about babies. Which I think is yet another thing justifying that VHS that's all about babies that always appears before the Olsen twins movies. Babies at play. Because babies love babies. And babies want to learn about babies and Mm. see babies. I myself was never really into baby movies growing up. I know that there's a big boom of them. I mean, obviously this is probably the biggest one, but there's also Look Who's Talking. There is the French original. This is a remake of... Uh, toi home. Didn't you take French? Uh, it's all gone. <laughs> She's having a baby. My favorite was Raising Arizona, but that's more of a Nicolas Cage movie than we, it is a baby movie. We can give the English title of the French film this is based on Three Men in a Cradle. Which what? sounds more ominous. We watched the French trailer, and it actually is more timeless. Like, it's way less dated than this movie is. If I was to read Trois Hommes et un Coffin, I would think that it's three men in a coffin. <laughs> like, that's what it looks like. But I guess I'm just... Cradle to the grave. I guess I'm just showing my ignorance. I had seen, like, a few episodes of Cheers, and so I think I kind of, like, associated... Ted Danson with Cheers and therefore associated with him with Rhea Perlman, who was in To Grandmother's House We Go. Mm. The Frasier connection, because as a child, I was really into the TV show Frasier. Thanks, Mom. And so it's just kind of like, I don't know, it's this uh, it's this trio. And my mom was also a huge Tom Selleck fan, so that probably rubbed off on me. Although he is really hairy. Like, there was a moment in, earlier this evening when we were reviewing the movie where Sean realized that he wasn't wearing a shirt, but we both thought he was wearing a shirt because he's that hairy. He wears these cardigans throughout the movie. I think this is the one, there's the scene where he goes to... He, right after they have this baby dumped onto their front like stoop of their massive apartment, the first because it, no supplies have been provided at this baby, uh, Tom Selleck runs down to the local uh, grocery store. And when I was looking at his outfit in that scene, in a movie filled with garish, ugly '80s clothes, you could totally get away with what he's wearing in that scene. Classic. He was it's wearing like, white linen pants and mm-hmm. a navy cardigan over a gray tank. Yeah, like but like a, a deep V tank kind. Well, it wasn't a it's deep a V. Yeah, it was a scoop. So you got sort of a bushel of chest hair coming out. But later, during a night scene, <laughs> I swear he's wearing that same cardigan and it seems like he's got a nightshirt on underneath, but it's just a blanket of luscious yeah. uh, Tom Selleck and, chest and stomach hair. It goes all the way down. <laughs> and we get past that scene, like it cuts away to the next scene and Sean says, oh, wait, wait. Oh my god, he wasn't wearing a shirt. That was his chest hair. And then I didn't believe you, and you had to re- actually rewind. I mean, part of it was, when we review these tapes, we kind of fast-forward around and just see some of the key scenes again. Well, we watch it in full, and yeah. then we do the review later. Yeah. Well, we should talk the trailers. Yeah. I was expecting it to be the same lineup as um, 
last time's episode, Pretty Woman, because this is, again, a Touchstone Pictures release. Yeah, and they had the ad for Three Men and a Baby in Pretty Woman, but I think this VHS predates the Pretty Woman VHS, yeah, it, so that's why it years. didn't have that in there. So we got, instead, we got Beaches. And Cocktail with Tom Cruise. Early Tom Cruise joint. Well, I guess not that early, but around his Top Gun time, like yeah. mid-80s. Um, I have to admit, I haven't seen either of these movies. I know that they both have their fans. I haven't fans. either, actually. Um, I know, like, Cocktail was kind of a precursor to the Coyote Ugly thing of, like, cool bartenders that could <laughs> flip around bottles and, like, half their routine seemed to not just be the making of the drinks, but if you could flip around several bottles at once and catch them. It had to have sucked to be a bartender after those movies came out. Just, I wonder if their, their tips were just a little bit less because people weren't impressed and people were probably asking them for elaborate tricks that they could not do. You're not Tom Cruise. God damn it, get on that bar and dance for me. Honestly, I would be alarmed if someone, if I ordered a drink at a bar and they just started throwing around <laughs> bottles up in the air. I mean, I would, I, that's just not something that would be pleasurable for me. Well, no, wait, wait. When we went to Portland, you had a guy that was flipping around a glass that had fire in it. Well, that's like an old establishment. That's Huber's? Huber's? Huber's. Hu- Huber's? <laughs> the oldest bar in Portland? Yes. That's like their thing, though. If I if I just went to a normal... Uh, what if you had gotten the new guy? What if I gotten the new... Well, that guy that we got had been there for like a hundred years. <laughs> he was as old as <laughs> he this. He was the ghost bartender. <laughs> yeah. You, he, you may know him from Three Men and a Baby <laughs> as the ghost that hides in the background. He's the, he's the ghost boy all grown up. But yeah, let's talk about this movie because it's kind of a strange one. It's not what well, I was expecting at all. You gotta ex- be expecting something a little strange because it's directed by Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, Leonard Nimoy uh, had directed a couple Star Trek movies. He didn't direct the sequel to this because he was too busy directing another baby movie. Oh, really? With Gene Wilder. Funny about love in 1990. But of course, I didn't know that there was a sequel to Three Men and a Baby until you told me. So. Yeah, the sequel is not very good. I, even as a child, I understood that it was not a good movie. The girl's a little grown up and she's... um. Being whisked away to England because her flighty mom has decided to go marry an English man that has an estate there. I was exhausted just watching the trailer. It seems like it's <laughs> low. If you, I feel like you could basically get the whole movie out of that four minute long trailer. And it's weird because they, they crammed every English countryside cliche in that they could too. I actually had never seen this movie. I had seen a movie called Baby's Day Out, which is about... (laughs) Which I think that I sort of confused the two. I thought that uh, there's three guys who have a baby dropped in their laps. So, so far, so good. That is what happens in the movie. But then what I thought is the baby escapes from the apartment and they chase it around Manhattan. Oh, no. But I think that's what Baby's Day Out is. (laughs) Yeah, that's Baby's Day Out. I definitely saw that because I had false memories of of this movie as that. Okay, this movie has the longest intro sequence. It's like five minutes long of them being sped up to music, making a really horrifically decorated apartment. 
So these are 30-some-year-old guys that it's a trio of guys that all live in a bachelor pad together. And they all have, at least Tom Sillick is in, like, an open relationship. Yeah. They're they're all, like, lady killers. Oh, yeah, they're ladiesmen. They're bad boys. Bad boys and bad, bad boys. boys. As the theme uh, <laughs> in, the op- in the long opening credit sequence lets us know. And Steve Gutenberg, who is a cartoonist... It paints this this mural for like the lobby because they have one of those apartments where the uh, where the elevator goes up and instead of having a hallway of um, different apartments that you can go to, it's just a lot like this it's the open penthouse. room. Yeah, they it's have the penthouse, penthouse apartment. Yeah, and it's this it's this sort of like lobby area that goes just to their apartment, and he decorates the whole thing with dancing ladies. Uh, the men in tuxedos looking all looking all fly poorly. The, the apartment is so bizarre because yeah. Tom Selleck's the architect, yes. but he also sort of seems to be an interior designer. Yeah, in a way, I guess. Or maybe the movie just doesn't know the difference between the two. Maybe. And then then there's Steve Gutenberg, who's the artist, who's done this hideous mural in the lobby. Yeah. I the mural where they show the men seeing off their ladies on the elevator doors. They have women leaving. Yes, there's three men in the likeness of our three leads bowing their top hats to one-night stands that are heading out the elevator door. Like, they want you to know these are men that sleep around. And apparently they want their one-night stands, their conquests, to know that this is part of their routine also, so much so that they have a mural painted uh, to represent this. Yeah, so that when you leave, you can see that you're not the first woman to leave and that there will be many following you. It happens so often they painted it into their lobby mural. I mean, I guess that's an easier way to communicate to the women you have over that it's not going to go anywhere. (laughs) Did you see the mural coming in? Did you take a look around before you come in? Can you look behind you really quick to see the other women leaving? (laughs) That's you tomorrow. Or maybe later tonight. So basically, we meet these bad boys uh, throwing a big party. They're all very rich, very successful. They live together. They choose to live together, even though they're clearly wealthy enough to have their own places. But they want to have this bachelor trio thing going on, which is just odd. It is a little odd. And it's, it's a little bit of a fantasy, too, because... They ha- I mean, this apartment doesn't really make sense because it's the it's the penthouse suite of this New York so high rise. Yeah, they essentially have they have an entire floor, and they have like this greenhouse type kitchen that's all just windows. Yeah. When we when the movie opens, they basically just had the party, this big party for Tom Selleck, so you can sort of meet everybody. And you make sure that you, they made sure that we knew right away that his girl he had an open relationship with his girlfriend. Yeah, so we don't hate Tom Selleck for all the uh womanizing he's going to be doing. Yeah, because she's manonizing. Mhm. Ted Danson leaves to go uh off on some shoot and a baby is dropped on uh, their well, front stoop. Ted Danson before he leaves says I'm expecting a special fragile package so just be careful with it and set it aside and of course because people don't talk to each other in movies they assume that this baby is the package and and they're horrified because he says just like put it in a corner and they're thinking what do we like it's a baby this thing's alive we can't just set it to the side and the interesting thing about this baby is it 
arrives in this beautiful bassinet and it's all dressed up. She's all dressed up, but there's no diaper bag. There's no baby food or formula, no diapers. There are no supplies whatsoever. And then these guys freak out because they don't know what babies are. Steve Gutenberg starts bearing his chest at it because apparently he, <laughs> that's all he knows about women. He's just like, this is a woman. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show her my bare chest. Everybody likes the Tom Selleck chest hair. Well, that was the Steve Gutenberg chest hair. Oh, I guess they all kind of have chest hair in this movie, don't they? Yeah, well, it's the 80s. Then we quickly learn that the real package is like this, I guess it's a big like parcel of cocaine. Seems like cocaine. It's white powder. there's this whole subplot about drug dealers. And I feel like I sort of assumed that this was tacked on to the this American remake. But apparently that's in the French version too. Yeah, it's totally original. That seems like such a thing that comedies do when they're sort of like, oh, I don't know if we really can get enough out of this premise. Like just these three bachelors dealing with having a baby because i feel like that alone would be enough to carry a movie and they they need this like criminal subplot yeah it's kind of weird because it you're right it does feel like this kind of secondary plot that's not really important to what's going on and it does feel tacked on and it's especially weird because about two-thirds of the way through the film that whole drug plot is gone and it's just about them with the baby and the mother Yeah, you've got a lot of movie left after the whole drug plot is wrapped up. Which makes me think that it was unnecessary. The the parcel mix-up could have been something else without, like, these weird scenes of them just handing the baby off to drug dealers and... It's kind of weird. It makes me want to see the original French version just because looking at the trailer for that, and that's the only frame of reference I have, but... It, it totally fit that film better, at least the way it was shot and everything. It just, um, it's kind of a weird add-on to this one when everything's so bright and colorful and light and fun um, in the rest of this film. And then you suddenly you have this like dark thing where maybe these guys are going to hurt a baby. I would, will say that I think these uh, these main actors are very well cast. I mean, I guess they are all in sort of the prime of their career. I think they were all kind of peaking at this point. I mean, Cheers they? was very popular at this time. Oh, yeah. And it was still running. And then Tom Selleck had been... Had he finished up Magnum P.I. by this time? Um, It was just ending. That ran from 1980 to 88. I, You know, to be honest, I've never seen an episode of Magnum P.I., but I know it was huge at the time. I've only seen it parodied. And of course, Steve Gutenberg. I mean, I guess Police Academy is what he was best known for at this time. He was about to be known for It Takes Two. <laughs> the not-so-great commercial success. At this time, he'd done... the Police Academy 4 came out the same year, and he'd done Short Circuit, and he'd done Cocoon. Um, so yeah, I mean, it seemed like he was just cranking out hit after hit in the 80s before tackling his magnum opus it takes two <laughs> so nancy travis plays the baby's mother who abandons the baby who abandons the baby and postpartum depression is real serious but i do feel like she should have at least left a diaper bag or made sure that there was somebody home or yeah made sure someone was home What's his name's an actor? He could have been gone for... Well, I mean, he was away for days on an acting gig. 
So it's kind of one of those weird things where it's like I'm trying not to judge her, but then it's also just like, oh my god, you abandoned your baby on a doorstep and you had no idea if she would be found. Ted Danson's roommates should be able to take care of the baby, right? Well, they ended up figuring it out, right? But uh, Nancy Travis, you were saying she's probably best known for So I Married an Axe Murder, right? Yeah, I mean, that was a, a bigger movie for me growing up than than this. I actually haven't seen that. Although I do find it really funny that she was on Becker for like two seasons. And Becker was uh, Ted Danson's TV show that I used to watch. They must have liked each other. He played a doctor. So this character is kind of the most difficult aspect of the movie for me. I mean, besides the whole drug dealer thing, I would have liked the movie to just mostly be about these three guys, like trying to deal with raising the kid and stuff. But this character comes back, the mother of the baby, Nancy Travis's character, and we're just supposed to instantly like, and I mean, just instantly be okay kind of with what she's done. She comes in and the guys hand the baby back to her and she's flying off to England. And then they realize, oh wait, we love this baby. We want the baby to be in our lives. And it's just a kind of weird thing where there's no questioning of, like, nobody asks her, are you really okay to take the baby back? You did leave her on a doorstep. These guys are always willing to just hand the baby off to whoever. Well, they tried to, they gave the baby over to the drug lord people. And then Vincenzo at one point, the detective. Yeah, it's, it's, these guys have kind of poor judgment. But anyway, she ends up having another breakdown and she comes back to the apartment and they find her on the doorstep with the baby. And then they all, they, they're just like, you know what? I think it's Tom Selleck's idea. How about she moves in with us? Add him so to the mural. So it's three womanizing bachelor men and and a and a, one of their ex-girlfriends and the baby. <laughs> their ex-girlfriend with postpartum depression and the baby. That they're not asking to go get help and get counseling <laughs> yeah. or anything like that. Just like, oh, Just okay. Gutenberg, paint them onto the mural, yep. add them on. They're That's part enough. of the family now. That's enough. It's kind of interesting because when we talk about the mom slash ex-girlfriend, and then I think about the men in this movie, and it's 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 a little bit interesting the things that this film says about m men's and women's roles, right? Like, because you keep having these guys trying to foist the baby off onto these other women because of the assumption that, well, women know what to do with babies. And Tom Selleck's open relationship girlfriend is straight up just like, look, you called me up when I was on a date with someone. I have my own life. I don't know what to do with a baby because, you know, she doesn't have a baby. How's she supposed to know? And what she to has do with no a baby? obligation to help. Exactly. I mean, she has no relation yeah. to this child or anything like that. This, this, so it kind of challenges that assumption of you know women needing to be there to be responsible for a child, and it's it's kind of a it it doesn't mean to be, but it's it's slightly <laughs> subversive in that way where like you have these men that are learning. Oh wait a minute, we can actually care for children ourselves. You know, I wonder how much of that, maybe more of that was intentional than we think. I mean, yeah. Leonard Nimoy is a pretty progressive dude. and Good point, actually. Good um, point. 
You know, I, I, I see what you're saying there. And, and at first I thought, like, oh, how dated and gendered this movie is. But it is kind of a commentary on it. And, it, you know, as much as you can be at this time. Yeah, it is super dated and gendered, though. Like, it's you gotta kind of, like, dig for it. But it's it's interesting. And it's, it's a nice, we say this all the time, but it's kind of a time capsule of how people looked at gender and your relationship to children because of that. And uh, the last thing I really want to say about the movie is uh, as garish and ugly as that apartment was, especially like the multimedia center with three tiny TVs lined up next to each other, (laughs) I will say, I mean, besides the awesome uh, kitchen that they have going on, the, you know, wall-to-wall windows... I do like their little, like, hangout area where they've got all the wine racks and the, uh, (laughs) this kind of just table where they hang out next to the pool table. They just kind of confer with each other between their, uh their adventures and um it seems like it'd be a pretty cool place it's almost like a gigantic penthouse sized uh man cave i like how ted danson's off on a shoot while steve gutenberg and tom Selleck are stuck with trying to figure out how to raise a baby and they know nothing about babies and so when ted danson comes back they just kind of like hand her off they're like this is your daughter by the way and then they leave him and they're just playing pool (laughs) and you can see they're so satisfied because they're like, F you, Ted. Now you get to deal with this. Yeah. All right, Lindsay. Well, 2017, 30 years after the release of Three Men and a Baby. Oh, this movie is as old as my brother. And uh, 20 some odd years since it was a very special movie to you. Yeah, at least 20 years. How's it measure up today? Do you buy it, rent it, or tape over? The people want to know. It's pretty good. It's like, it's not a terrible movie. It's kind of fun to watch. The The three men, the, the ensemble of the men are very charming. So I'm going to give it a soft rent it. This was an easier revisit than, say, uh, Man of the House for me. <laughs> I, I wasn't really taken by surprise with any of it. It was still fun to watch. I don't really know if I'd recommend it to many people, but I didn't mind revisiting it. All right, Sean, do you buy it, rent it, or tape over it? You know, I'm my experience with this isn't colored by <laughs> nostalgia. I'm able to see it for what it is. And honestly, what I see here is a lot of potential. You got three very charismatic leads at the peak of their powers. Uh... And, you know, you got Leonard Nimoy directing, who's a very capable director. You got this, uh, you know, French comedy that was nominated for an Oscar. And I just think it's a miss, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm glad you mentioned Man of the House uh, because it has some some similar problems. I feel like they bring yeah. in this, they bring in this, like, crime element that just feels so at odds with what the movie's all about. And granted, the original had that. Okay, but can I say really quick, my when I say, like, no surprises, I must say my memory of this movie does not include the whole drug thing. I remembered all the baby hijinks. I just feel like I've got no problems with a good crime comedy, but I do have problems when it's, like, would make, like, just a great domestic comedy of errors yeah. sort of thing, where it's just these... Because you got a perfect premise here. You got three really wow, rich that guys. It is a lot like Man of the House. You got you got a great just you know down to earth relatable premise. Why do you need to tell? That to me says you don't yeah. have faith in the material. 
And granted, this is rooted in the French original as well. But maybe they play a little looser in the original, but I, it has to be tape over it for me because I just think that there's a lot of potential here that it doesn't... I mean, it, they just didn't have faith in the, the chemistry of these three guys to carry yeah. a movie. So they added in all this other kind of like just junk with the, the, these drug dealers. Yeah, and I agree. That's where I said I can't really recommend this to anybody because it's not a great film. I have a soft spot for it because I grew up with it. So that's where it's like... And I told you before we started recording, like, I don't know if I'll actually revisit this again now that I'm an adult. Now that I've seen it this one time, I feel like that's probably enough for me. Because it's really, it could be a better movie. Yeah. If they remake it again, which I'm sure will happen in our lifetime, although there is talk of there being a third one, as Tom Selleck is, is known to say. I yeah. think what's more likely is they'll just do a straight up remake and... It'll probably be awful, but, you know, again, like, if they are to do this story a third time, I think just drop the the crime element. Oh, just... come on, Sean. You know if they remade it in the next, like, three years, they would ramp up the crime element. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> You're right. All right, well, that's Three Men and a Baby. What have you got in store for us next time, Sean? Three men and a baby. How about three boys and some vampires? <laughs> We're doing the Lost Boys. Wow, finally. Yep, one of my favorites. Um, I'm surprised you're not saving that for Halloween. I couldn't wait. I couldn't even wait for summer when it's set. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Filmed all in Santa Cruz, of course, with... Uh, just one of the best casts ever assembled for a film. You just say that because of Kiefer. Well, Kiefer's part of it. You also got Jason Patrick. You got Corey Feldman and Corey Haim. Corey the... Feldman isn't a plus anymore. Well, at this time he was. This is at the <laughs> peak of his powers. And you've got the grandpa from Gilmore Girls. What? Yep. Little surprise for you. Edward Herman? I don't remember him being in The Lost Boys. Oh, you're in for a treat then, because he plays a great character. I won't spoil it for you, but he's he's very funny and very charming. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can find more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. And you can learn more about us and our other episodes on our website, tapeheadspodcast.com. You can also email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on iTunes. That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time.